If you have your Bibles, uh, please take them and turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke, Luke, we're back at Luke chapter 24 today, Luke 24 verses 1 through 12. Uh, I'm pretty excited because this is the last chapter in the, the gospel of Luke. We're nearing our end of Luke 24, 1 to 12. We're going to have uh, this, including this sermon, three sermons in all uh, uh, before we uh, finish this book. And uh, then we're, if you may be, some of you may be wondering where we're going to go. And uh, I plan to do a little brief series out of Psalm 119. And then, uh, and then after that, we're going to start the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers. So uh, if you have time, you're kind of you're looking for something to read for your uh, daily devotions or quiet time readings and just daily readings, so read the book of Numbers and uh, meditate on what the Lord would have uh, to speak to us through that book. All right? So Luke 24, 1 through 12. And I'll be reading the sermon uh, within the text today. So uh, Luke 24, 1 to 12. Now, uh, this is almost, this message is almost like a, it really is a continuation of the, the last two sermons. And in our last sermon, I had uh, mentioned and begun with 1 Corinthians 15. I even read out of 1 Corinthians 15 for our call to worship. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11, remember the Apostle Paul had basically summarized the gospel with, by, by two essential truths. Two essential truths. What are those two essential truths? What is, what is it, if you boil down the, 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 the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, what is that essential truth? It is Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. That's the gospel, the good news. That's, that's what we proclaim. That's our message. That's what we believe, is that we believe that Jesus Christ died, and we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. These two truths summarize the gospel message that Jesus Christ proclaimed, and it summarizes the gospel message that we ourselves proclaim. God had promised Christ's death and resurrection in his scriptures, and he fulfilled them in his son. And these two historical events are not only the heart of the good news of salvation, but they are foundational for the Christian faith. They're foundational for our faith. If we forget these, these truths, if we deny these truths, we essentially deny our faith. Our faith is grounded in, in the reality that these two events, Christ died, Christ rose again, actually happened in history. They must actually happen for there to be actual salvation. If we say that they're a myth or if we just say that there's legend, if we say that it's just kind of a, a euphemism, uh, some symbolism, then there is no real salvation. It's only symbolic. It's only euphemism. It's because these two events happened, that Christ died and Christ rose again, that our faith in Christ leads to actual salvation from sin and real hope of eternal life with the Father. Christ really did die on the cross, as we looked at last time, evidenced by his burial, uh, Luke 23, 50 to 56. And Christ also really is risen from the dead. And this is such an important fact that Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, and we read it in our call to worship in verse 14 and 19, that if Christ is not risen, there are some significant things that impact our faith. If Christ is not risen... Our preaching is in vain, Paul says. Your faith is in vain. We're actually being false witnesses, which is a sin. Your faith is worthless. In fact, you're still in your sins if Christ is not risen. And on top of it all, those loved ones who died and who believed in Jesus, 
They have perished. And most lastly, if Christ is not risen, we are most to be pitied. Because we actually live our lives as if that actually made a difference. When, if it's not real, if it didn't actually happen, let's just go live whatever way we want. Let's go get what, what, what do we want. We don't have to care about anybody. Just get what is, I need to get for myself to make me happy, and I don't care about you. That's what we should just do. And that's how much of the world lives. If Christ is not risen, that's a big if. In our moments of doubt and weak faith, there are times when we might doubt whether the reality that Christ has actually risen or that Christ actually died for our sins. But when we reflect and we remember what the scriptures say, we consider, remember what really history has to say, we will remember that Christ's death and resurrection are actual, real, historical events that did take place. And when we realize that, remember that, it will gird our faith in those times of doubt. It will give us reason when we face, have a, a faith that is weak. It will give us reason to keep trusting in him for our salvation. So this morning, just like last, last time, I want to encourage you uh, with the reality of Christ's bodily resurrection. Now, this passage, I had actually preached on it not just a little over two years ago. So I'm sure all of you remember all those excellent points that I'd made. Yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I didn't remember them at all myself, so it's okay. Uh, so I'm going to preach this message again because uh, we're, we're in this text. But I'm going to change the application a little bit to a more of a, you'll listen, as you listen to it, you'll hear it's a more of an apologetic uh, kind of application. I want to give you guys some apologetic reasons for, for our faith. Because uh, there are many skeptics in the world, maybe even some of the doubts that may arise in our hearts is because of skepticism that we ourselves face. And I want to try to address some of the more common uh, theories out there that are about the resurrection and so as we walk through this text. And so hopefully that will be edifying to you and, and pray that the word of God would be, glor- would, uh, be uh, effective in your life. As we look at Luke's account of the resurrection, I, um, I hope that... Uh, that you will understand that all that took place in Christ's life are actually what was predicted and promised by God and fulfilled in Christ. Now, the Gospel of Luke is written by uh, the missionary doctor uh, in an effort to compile an account of the things that were fulfilled in Christ's life. Uh, That is, it was not just an accident, but it was actually a fulfillment of Scripture. And his purpose in writing this gospel is so that the followers of Jesus, those who read this gospel, would then know for certain in their own hearts, know the exact truth about the things that took place. So they would see that, that, that following Jesus is the correct, uh, is, is, is the truth. And what they had been taught is actually the correct the truth. Now, in the previous chapter, Jesus just has been crucified, he'd been buried, he'd been, uh, and he, uh, he died and he was buried. And he was uh, buried in particular by Joseph Arimathea in the tomb that was cut into the side of rock. Along the way, some women had followed along to see where he's laid because they themselves wanted to anoint Jesus' body. And we kind of left it off because the, the Sabbath took place. And so they couldn't anoint his body. They had to wait until the Sabbath. 
So this passage now picks up that really the continuation of the text, that these women want to anoint Jesus' body with spices. And so they come very early on. As soon as the Sabbath is over, they start preparing, they buy spices, and they want to come as soon as they can, so this Sunday morning, to anoint Jesus' body. And as we look at this outline, then we're going to look at three observations, three observations that testify to the reality of Christ's resurrection. Three uh, observations from this text we're going to make that testify to the reality of Christ's resurrection. All right, so let's take a look then at these three observations. What's observation number one? Observation number one in this passage is the observation of the empty tomb, the empty tomb. Uh, We find this in verses one to three of chapter 24, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And so we find here the background, the first day of the week being Sunday, Sunday, and early dawn. So as early as possible, they got up. They came to the tomb. They brought their spices, which they had prepared uh, after the Sabbath was over, technically at on Saturday, uh, on Saturday night, 6 p.m., so they can began preparing spices. They may have been able to go out and buy some more as well, and then they came as early as they could in the morning. And when they came, uh, so these women, these, uh, these women, we actually find out more about them later on. Verse 10, chapter 24, we find their names are Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, uh, and, and others. So these women, of course, had followed the Lord. They supported his ministry. They, uh, his, they watched him die as well. They're witnesses of his death. And so, so they were witnesses of his death, and they're also witnesses of his resurrection. And now they're bringing their spices, which they prepared. Um, Jesus had been crucified on Friday, if you recall. And so Friday being the first day, Saturday being day, one, day two, and Sunday being the third day. So a lot of times you hear uh, Jesus being raised on the third day. That's because Sunday is that third day. Um, Mark's account tells us that in uh, Mark 16.3 that along the way, the women were started to realize that they're going to go to this tomb, but in front of this tomb is this huge stone. It would have been, it would have been a pretty big stone and you know, more than uh, it would take several people to roll, uh, roll over. And they didn't know how they were going to open the tomb. Who would roll the stone away the stone from the tomb for them? Um, and so they had basically expected to find when they arrived that the the tomb would still be sealed with the rock, uh, the big stone. And they were expecting to find Jesus' body inside. Clearly, these women were not expecting the resurrection of Christ. They were looking for a body. They were not looking for Jesus. They were looking for his body. Um, though they had followed Jesus throughout his ministry, they saw his miracles, uh, they had heard his words, they expected to find Jesus in his tomb, dead. They did not expect a resurrection. But when they got there, they, they discovered something quite different to their shock. It's, uh, you know, it's, and, and we find it in the next two verses, verse 2 and 3, Luke will use the verb find. And this is what they find. They, they find this, they find that. And they found or discovered basically two unexpected things. Number one, the, the woman found an open tomb, an open tomb. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, uh, but if you ever go visit some loved ones, you know, like uh, maybe you might go visit them at the graveside, a cemetery, you might go visit them in a mausoleum, uh, you generally don't ever expect to ever, it would be simply shocking if you showed up at someone's uh, gravesite and found that it was opened, right? It would be shocking. It would be, it, you would you know that something very terrible has happened. 
And so these women arrive, and they find basically an open tomb, a tomb that they had seen closed by a huge rock, sealed with a, uh, with a Roman seal even. They did not expect to find an open one, but that's what they found. Joseph Arenthe had, had himself laid Jesus in this, in this tomb along with uh, 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 Nicodemus, and they rolled the stone over it. But when they come, when they arrive, the stone is moved away. That somehow uh, it has been moved to the side. Uh, Matthew's account, Matthew 28, verse 2, tells us that it actually tells us how it was moved. An angel moved it. Uh, it's essentially an angel had moved the stone uh, aside uh, so that everyone could see inside. So they had gone to anoint the body of Jesus, but his body was not there. So they found an, but they said they found an open tomb. Secondly, they found an empty tomb. An empty tomb. Number two, they found an empty tomb. Uh, the woman did not know that at that time what had actually happened, but the, the fact that they found an empty tomb is an indication that Christ had risen from the dead. You know, among the major religions of our world, Christianity is unique, right? It's unique. It's unique because it alone claims the bodily resurrection of its founder. It, it doesn't just... Uh, it, and it doesn't say that he, he just came back to life and, 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 and then died again, but he came back to life never to die again, that he's alive even now. And because of this claim, because of the claim of Christ's resurrection, it's to prove the, that the Christian faith is false would simply require producing the body of Christ. And some skeptics, of course, have, have challenged the resurrection by saying that, well, Jesus really didn't die. That's why uh, there are accounts of his resurrection, because he really didn't die uh, on the cross. He merely appeared to die and simply woke up later. Now, this theory is probably one of the more common ones. This is called the swoon theory, swoon theory, uh, that he swooned. I don't know why it's some old school word or something like that, but he swooned. He, he appeared to die. And then he uh, must have woke up later on and, and came out of the tomb. However, this is unlikely. For the crucified Jesus, think about it. Jesus was crucified. The crucified Jesus, he was having been beaten with fists during his trials, having been scourged by whips where his flesh was torn off his back, bleeding, having been nailed through with spikes through his wrists, his feet, having hung on a cross for six hours, having then been pierced on his side with a spear, such a person would have scarcely been able to wake up if he was, you know, somehow unconscious, had become unconscious, and then roll this huge stone out of the way, right? Uh, we couldn't even do it if we we're in our healthiest condition. But to be completely having been crucified and then somehow have swooned and then false, wrongly buried and then to wake up in the tomb in that condition, how would he even be able to move the stone? And then once you get outside, then you have to overcome the Roman guards that are there on top of it all. Another common, and so the swoon theory is not, is not reasonable considering the facts. Another common explanation of the resurrection by skeptics is the hallucination theory. The hallucination theory. And that is the disciples merely all hallucinated seeing Jesus alive. Not only did the disciples 
see, uh, not only did the disciples see Jesus though, but according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, so did 500 other people. They saw him alive all at the same time. All at the same time. This is real good. I don't know if you've ever had a hallucination. Have you ever had a hallucination? Did anyone else have that hallucination with you? Probably not because, <laughs> uh, you, probably not because uh, the fact is uh, hallucinations are generally uh, an, an individual thing. You know, you... You know, so I've heard people take drugs and they hallucinate, you know. And so they'll think, they'll see, they'll see things. And, and uh, they'll say, oh, man, that was a trip, man. I just saw this. I saw this pink elephant go across the room. I remember. Um, yeah. And it, um, it was, uh, so it happens that people hallucinate uh, when they've done drugs. And, but for, for 11 people all to have the same hallucination, to actually see someone come into the room, through, somehow show up before them, and then come again the next day. That, that's, too, uh, that's too rare. It's unheard of. But to have 500 people at one time hallucinate and see the same thing, that's impossible. And what's more, the hallucinations of Jesus, if it is hallucination, not only occurred in those ways, but it occurred over a period of 40 days. 40 days in different places. It's highly unlikely, and I'm being generous when I say that, if any thought they were hallucinating, by the way, then how could they have resolved it? If, if they, people were saying that, then the, the Jewish people could have just simply, the Jewish leaders could have said, well, let's just go to the tomb. Let's go to the tomb and look for him. Here's the body. You were hallucinating. But the reality is that there's an empty tomb. It's an open tomb. So that every of the angels come and open it, because not just so that Jesus can come out, it's so that everyone can go in and look and see that Jesus' body is not there. And because he has risen from the dead, the empty tomb, uh, along with the appearance of many witnesses, is consistent with the, an actual resurrection of Jesus Christ. The empty tomb indicates that Jesus is risen. But for these women, they did not yet understand what had happened. They needed an explanation. They were, they were shocked, which leads to our second observation that testifies to the reality of the resurrection, and that is Christ's prophecies, Christ's prophecies. In verses 4 to 7, let's read these uh, four verses together. Uh, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. These two men here uh, are, just, are actually angels. Uh, you can check Matthew 28 uh, for that, for confirmation. And their dazzling, or literally it's their lightning-like clothing, are indicative basically of those who have come from the presence of God. When anyone who comes from the presence of God, they, are, they reflect his Shekinah glory, his glory, and there's a, there's a glow in them. Even when Moses went up to the mountain, uh, uh, the Mount Sinai, to receive the Ten Commandments, he came down with his face glowing. You cannot appear before God and see his glory and not be, also reflect that glory. These angels come and they act as God's holy servants. They act as his messengers, and that's what they're doing this time. 
Now, as we look at this angel's message that he delivers to uh, the women, it can be broken down for us in, by three, three words, three, three uh, parts. First of all, there is a word of rebuke. And though it is a gentle rebuke, never, it's a rebuke nevertheless. The question that the angels ask of the women is a, is a correction of their wrong expectation. He says, why do you seek the living among the dead? <clears throat> The Greek word living here is a, is a present tense participle, a masculine singular. So it's not talking about the living, uh, living ones, living people. It's talking about why are you looking for the living one among the dead? This one is a reference to Jesus Christ himself alone. Jesus Christ is the living one. He is alive now. And so the, the, angels, uh, uh, the angels are reproving them. They're, they're reminding them that just this Jesus, he's the one who says that he's the resurrection and life. The resurrection life, and though he died, is now alive. You know, my, uh, our family, my family, Cindy and I, uh, we go back to Seattle every once in a while. We go back there to visit family, relatives. And when I'm always there, I always make a trip to the cemetery. And when I go to the cemetery, when I say that, I know that you know, I don't even tell you why I'm going to the cemetery. You would know that I must be going to visit uh, my loved ones there. And, and I need you to say, well, why you, you automatically know I'm visiting my loved ones, but you also automatically know that I'm not visiting living loved ones there, right? You know, if I go to cemetery, you're going to say, oh, you're going to visit dead loved ones who have passed away. We don't expect people to go to graceside. And so these, these women enter the tomb looking, like when we go to cemeteries, looking for someone who's dead, looking for where the, our loved ones are, are laid so that we might remember them, we might... Uh, Pray to God and give thanks for them that we might reflect upon their life and, and how they've been a blessing to us. Just to remember, they were not looking, these women were not looking for a living Jesus because they went to the tomb. They were looking for a dead Jesus. They were looking for his body. So they were getting reproved for that. They, had for, they, uh, they get a, the second, the, secondly, the angels give a word of resurrection. So there's a word of rebuke, a word of resurrection. They say, he's not here. But he is risen. He has risen, actually. They pointed to the fact that Jesus was not there in the tomb. Uh, <clears throat> and, the, and in fact, the, they use a, a, a conjunction there that's one of the strongest conjunctions possible. But to emphasize that, that why Jesus is not there. He's not here because he has risen. He has risen in the passive tense. And passive tense uh, versus active tense tells us that it's not that Jesus rose himself, he himself, he raised himself alive, but someone rose him, raised him from the dead. He has been raised. And the implications that he has been raised up by God the Father. In Peter's sermon in, uh, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.24, Peter there preaches that though the Israelites had crucified Jesus, it was God who had raised him up again. God is the one who raised up Jesus. And God, when God does it, it's a vindication. It shows that he approves and affirms what Jesus did. Christ's death on the cross was a valid death for all the sins of mankind. Every aspect of Jesus' life happened because of the predetermined plan of God. It was not an accident that Jesus died, including his death and resurrection. They were all by God's, by God's hand. Now, so... These women being told, being rebuked, being told of the reality of the resurrection, that Christ is, he's alive, he is risen. 
they, the angels give them a word of reminder. A reminder them because they should have known. They should have known. A reminder the women had, they had with their own eyes seen Jesus die and be buried. And so the natural thing is that they would expect to find his body in the tomb. Well, why wouldn't they expect to find the body of Jesus? Why shouldn't they have found, expected to find the body in the tomb? The angels tell them, because Jesus had told you otherwise. Remember how he spoke to you, is what they said. Remember what he said to you? Jesus had told them about his resurrection. He had told them about so many things that were going to take place in his life, but they had not understood nor remembered. Neither had any of the other disciples. Now, Jesus had on several occasions told the disciples that he would, that he, uh, on many, so that, he, that he would not only be betrayed, but he would die, uh, and that he would be, be risen from the dead. One of those times was back in Luke 9.22. And there, Luke 9.22 states this. Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And what's interesting to note that here the angels remind the women about what Christ has prophesied. Christ had prophesied to them, had told them that he what, exactly what it would happen, that he would be handed over into the hands of the religious leaders, that he would be tried before them and mistreated and abused and rejected eventually, and that, he would be, that he would be killed, he would be crucified, and then that he would be raised on the third day. All these things Jesus had spoke to them beforehand, and all of them they t- came to pass exactly as Christ had prophesied. It's not by accident, not by coincidence, but by divine necessity. Notice the, the use of the, the phrase, the Son of Man must, the Son of Man must. Luke will use this, particularly this verb, must, in the eight, about 18 times in the gospel, all emphasizing the divine fulfillment of God's plan in Jesus Christ. That's kind of one of Luke's major themes. But in Jesus' life, his betrayal, his death and resurrection, these things must happen because God had decreed that they would happen. And Jesus taught that these things must take place throughout his ministry, even be- way before they happened. And that's just confirmation, uh, is a confirmation of his divine nature. But they took place not just because he said it, but also because... God the Father had said it in his word. These things were promised, took place according to the scriptures, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, that he died according to the scriptures for our sins, and he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And we've looked at these uh, in the Old Testament in detail before. Many of you recall Isaiah 53 that predicts both Jesus' death and resurrection. But Jesus' resurrection is both a fulfillment of Christ's prophecies of himself, of God, and of God's prophecies, the Father's prophecies of his servant through the word. You know, it would be, it would be unreasonable and to accept that everything else happened exactly as Jesus and God prophesied. Oh, yeah, he was born. Yes, he lived. Yes, he taught. Yes, he did miracles. Yes, he did all those things. And then deny that Christ actually rose from the grave. If you accept prophecy fulfilled in Christ's life and death, 
And there are so many evidences of it, just starting just even just, just Old Testament alone prophecies. But Christ's prophecies himself also took place. Then all these things together really would give us no reason to deny or to reject the resurrection of Christ. And so these angels' message, Christ's prophecies are just another observation that we can make that reminds us that the resurrection really did take place. Really, it did happen in history because it was told to us beforehand. Now, having been reminded of Jesus' words about his resurrection, we last observe in the third observation, the woman's witness, the woman's witness, verse 8 to 12. And we'll end with this last point. And verse 8 to 12, and the woman, it says, and they remembered his words. So the angels reminded them of what Jesus had said, and they, then they remembered. All of a sudden, their eyes were open and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also the other woman with them, were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. <clears throat> Having heard the reminder then of the, from the angels, the woman suddenly, all of a sudden, remembered. It's like their eyes, their, their, their eyes were open to the truth, and they remembered Christ's words. And they, and they remembered it, and the response showed that they believed Christ's words. They didn't say, well, they didn't say, oh, it must someone, uh, there, uh, there's some other reason. But they believed what the angel said, and they responded to it. They reacted to it. In fact, in Matthew 8, 28, verse 7, the angels had then told the women to go quickly and tell the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead. Because that's exactly what they do. They, 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 they immediately go and they tell the disciples what they heard and what they saw. They told the 11 and all the rest of the Jesus' disciples that were gathered. Now, one of the, at this point, it's kind of, it's one of the other uh, skeptics' theories is that of what's, uh, it's kind of a, sort of a, kind of a tricky theory. It's called the myth theory, the myth theory, that the resurrection of Jesus is simply a myth that the apostles created. Now, they didn't do it intentionally to deceive people. They just wanted, they just, they just, they, they wanted to, they were intending to just create a myth so that people would be encouraged and would uh, have their faith strengthened by uh, this myth. Uh, so uh, those who hold, hold to this view. And, uh, but then eventually the myth became legend and then people started believing the legend and that it actually actually happened when disciples never meant it to become, uh, that it was a real thing. It was, it was just that it was a symbolic thing. It was a, a figurative thing, a euphemistic thing. It's basically what liberal Christians believe today, okay? That's, uh, that's the myth theory. Uh, they just don't believe anything, anything supernatural actually happened. It's called the myth theory. Uh, but the resurrection of Jesus if it is a, as a, as a myth that the apostles created, it would be surprising considering then, considering then that they would then, in writing this myth, choose as the very first witnesses, the very first people to see Jesus risen from the dead, very first to, to hear the angel's testimony, to be these women. 
You, you have to keep in mind, and we may not think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, can keep in mind that in those days, the women, women in the society had a very low social status. They could not even be considered as legal witnesses in a court of law. Their witness was not valid. If you were making a myth, you would not choose somebody who is an invalid witness. You would choose, well, it, it was the apostles. It was some men. It, ideally, it would be the, the 11 disciples, the apostles themselves, who saw and heard. They were the first ones out of believing. They wouldn't have had doubt. They would have gone straight to the tomb. But the fact is, Christ's resurrection begins with these, the witness of these women, that these, that these were chosen if it was fabricated by disciples, then so many other witnesses that could have been made better choices. But instead, they are the first to bear witness of the greatest truth in human history. These godly women who love Jesus, they are, they are the first witnesses of the resurrection. Not only did they see it with their eyes, but they believed it, and then they went and then told someone about it. They saw, they believed, and they went and told. That's kind of a great pattern, right? That's, that's just even in our lives. We come to see the truth, we believe the truth, and we go tell others of the truth. That's, that's what we're called, to be witnesses. And you're a witness in the court of law. You, I saw something, I believe that to be true. It was an actual thing, and I'm telling you now, that's what I saw. Even further refuting the myth theory is the response of the apostles. Because when we think about it, if this is a myth, the apostles should have been, would have been presented as they're, and they're making it as one who believed, but they actually respond in disbelief. When they heard the woman, they, they said, that makes no sense. It's nonsense, they, was their response. They, these men had lived and walked with Jesus. They saw his miracles. They, they saw him raise people from the dead even. But to be told by these women, that all, angels appeared and told us that, the, that Jesus is risen. He's alive. In fact, uh, by, by the time they return, one of them will actually have seen the risen Jesus. These women are considered nonsense by these disciples. They didn't believe it at first. They could not believe it. They themselves had probably seen uh, Jesus die from a distance. But Peter, thankfully, had enough sense to check it out. Just uh, you talk about his uh, being always impetuous and always kind of just being uh, rushing to everything. Well, here, that's what he does here. He, just, he rushes to go check it out himself. Uh, we're told that uh, in the, one of the parallels that John also accompanies him. He runs to the tomb, and sure enough, he finds the tomb empty. He then sees the empty tomb. And as he looks in, the body, he also sees that the body is not there, just as the women had said. The, on top of that... The only thing that is left there is the, is the linen wrappings, which have been used to wrap Jesus. Having seen the empty tomb, Peter went home marveling at what had happened. Marveling. Peter, John, and the other disciples would eventually come to believe in the resurrection, of course, after seeing themselves seeing the risen Jesus several times in Jerusalem, then in Galilee, and then back in Jerusalem again before his ascension to heaven. The witness of the disciples, beginning with these women, and eventually including the, the apostles as well as other disciples, this witness, this seeing, believing, and telling, points to the reality of the resurrection. It's a, another evidence for the, that the resurrection actually took place. Because when Jesus was arrested, what did the disciples do? They all fled. They all hid. They were all afraid. 
Peter, their spokesman, even denied knowing Christ three times. When Jesus died, disciples hid in fear. It wasn't even, the disciples didn't even bury him. It had to be Joseph and Nicodemus. But when we read the book of Acts, Luke's second part two, basically, we see this timid group of disciples transformed into a, a fearless, self-sacrificing band who would basically spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire in, in, all the way to the ends of the Roman to the, even at the sacrifice of their lives. They would all, all die as martyrs. They would be arrested. Many of them would be beaten. They would be challenged by the religious establishment. They would sacrifice their possessions for one another. They would boldly proclaim the gospel everywhere they went. They would continue to face opposition throughout their life. But nevertheless, though beaten, though stoned, though arrested, though jailed, though threatened by death, their faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ never ceased. They held this faith, this belief in Christ's death and resurrection to the very end. Their initial disbelief, they even considered the women's witnesses as nonsense, eventually became a faith that boldly witnessed to their death. And the only explanation for this is that there is the resurrection actually happened. It's the, the re- resurrection is a true, truly did take place as, they, as the, the scriptures tell us. They had actually witnessed for themselves. They didn't create it as a myth. They said, oh, this is, you know, this is kind of, you know, this is a nice story. Let's, let's write this story and encourage people thousands of years later that with, this, uh, with this idea that their savior arose from the dead. Because... Only belief in a resurrected Christ would drive these disciples to live as they live, to speak as they speak. You know, the, the, and, this, and this is especially in light of the uh, one, I'll share with you one last theory of, of the skeptics, and that's the, the deception theory, or something called the conspiracy theory. That Jesus' resurrection was actually a deception, that disciples conspired. So it's kind of related to the myth idea, but, you know, this one where they intentionally, evilly, intentionally do it because they want to deceive people. They want to trick people. It, it oftentimes is, uh, goes hand in hand with the, the story that the disciples were the ones who stole the body of Jesus. You know, they, they stole it. They, but in addition to the fact that, you know, the existence of the Roman soldiers that would have prevented the disciples from stealing the body, the likelihood that this was all a hoax is greatly diminished when we consider the, the witness of these early disciples, that they were willing to witness to their death. Who would suffer and die for a lie? You know, as soon as you can just take, take these uh, men, if you, as soon as they're being tortured they're being, you know, imprisoned. Maybe they're being threatened with, with the bodily harm. If they knew it was a lie, as soon as they were about to lose, potentially lose their life, they would have readily said, no, no, it's, I, I'm just sorry, I made it up. It's, it's fake. It's false. But not one martyr disciple cracked. They all went to their suffering and death 
all holding on to, their wit- to being faithful witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is because the resurrection did take place. They saw with their eyes. They beheld with their hands Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And their, life were, their lives were transformed and changed. The truth of the resurrection in God's word is, is clearly established. It's, it is confirmed by the discovery of the empty tomb, that Jesus' body uh, it is not there. You can go to the, the, the tomb of the empty sepulcher in, in Israel now, and you'll find that it's still empty. Well, you may find some tourists there, but it is an empty tomb. There's no body there. It will never be found because Jesus, his resurrected body is at the right hand of God the Father. It's the resurrection confirmed by Christ's prophecies that everything that happened to Jesus, everything from his arrest, his death, his resurrection, were all predicted by Jesus beforehand, and they all came to pass. It is confirmed by the witness of the women, as well as, and eventually, the witness of the disciples for the belief of the resurrection, the belief that it was true, it, uh, affected how they lived. It empowered their life. It infused them with, with boldness to go out and proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus, not even fearing death itself. Why don't they afraid of death? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And then though you die, you, those who believe in him, will, will live. And that's the truth. Despite the numer- numerous theories of the skeptics, the reality of the resurrected Christ is, con- is confirmed by the witness of Scripture, of Christ, as well as the disciples. It is the most logical, if we're talking about logic and reason, it's the most logical, most reasonable explanation for all this evidence, for all that is, has transpired, not only in the Scriptures, but all that has transpired in church history. If it's best with the truth that Christ is risen from the dead. And so, simply I'll leave you a couple questions. Question, what do you believe about the resurrection of the Christ? What do you believe? I know for many of us here, we're talking about, we're preaching the choir. These are, as saints of the Lord, I hope you believe that Christ died and Christ rose from the grave. That's the gospel. It's part of, it's what we, it's what we, it's what we have come to believe and it's what we witness. And it's what we would be willing to go take to the grave to proclaim. And uh, I hope that, and I ask the second question is, how does that belief affect your trust in Christ? You know, whenever you face doubt, I would encourage you just to, you know, sometimes we, when we face doubt, we, we kind of, we go to some other things that, uh, that are subjective. Like, you know, oh man, I, I'm doubting because I don't, I'm trying to remember, like, the, I forget that, get that feeling of the love of God. Does God really love me? You know, God's love for you is true, and it's a, it's a fact, but it's also subjective when you, how you feel it. Sometimes you feel it, but sometimes you don't. That's subjective. Maybe we might b- try to ground our faith in, 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 the, in the church, you know, the body of Christ. Like, oh, man, I'm, I'm looking. Right now I'm doubting, but, oh, man, the church is, I, I'm looking there for encouragement. But, you know, the fact is the church is not perfect. The church is going to fail you at times. They're going to be there most times, but they're, they're going to fail you at times. But what we can ground our faith in, what we can, when we have doubt, is we can ground it in the truth of Christ's death and resurrection. In Christ. And the, that in history, Christ died on the cross. And in history, Christ rose from the dead. These are what are, will gird our faith and will strengthen our faith.
And then uh, how does that belief of the resurrection of Christ affect your witness of Christ? As those who have come to believe in this truth, does it affect what we say, our, our witness, our testimony? Are we willing to take it, to, take it even to our deaths? Are we willing to suffer, face opposition to proclaim that Christ rose from the dead? And I hope if there's anyone here who has not yet responded to the gospel, that Christ died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead, that I invite you today to believe in Jesus Christ, if you haven't already. Um, if you're listening online even. I know that sometimes you're just flicking through that YouTube and all of a sudden you just jump off up now. The Lord is, has you here. That God wants you to know that he loved you by sending his, sending his son for you to die on the cross for your sins. So that... And he rose from the grave to show that he has the power over death and is able to give life to all who believe in him. I invite you today to believe upon Christ. Return away from your sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ and believe upon him. For he is the resurrection life. And he who believes in him will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in him will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the reminder of the cross the, as a reminder of the resurrection of Jesus. And we pray that, that, uh, that our hope and our faith would be not on, rest on any, any subjective feelings. It would not rest upon any other person, but it would rest upon Christ alone that it rests upon him and he alone, the, your son who came and died and rose from the grave for our sins. We hold on to Jesus and Jesus alone for our faith, for our salvation, for, our, for this life and for all eternity. Oh Lord, help us to be faithful witnesses to keep on believing in Christ and that we would, as you open doors, tell others of what we have come to believe about Jesus Christ and what we've come to know about him. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.